Take your Bibles and turn with me back to the book of Colossians that we are studying through. And uh, today I want to concentrate on verses 12 uh, to 14. We began looking at these verses last week, but I'd like to continue to look at them a little more today uh, and concentrating on the theme of gratitude. You see, at this portion in the scripture, what the Apostle Paul is doing is offering a prayer. He's heard about the Colossians. Uh, Paul is in his first imprisonment in Rome. Uh, the book of Acts, Acts 28, closes with Paul's first imprisonment. He's under house arrest. He's able to receive guests. And Epaphras has traveled all the way over from Colossae. And uh, he has uh, spoken to Paul about some false teaching that is going on in the church. And so the book of Colossians is Paul's response to that. I want us to uh, continue to look at these verses today. We'll back up to verse 9. We'll read from verse 9 to verse 14. And today what we're looking at is Paul's prayer, Paul's prayer of thanks for the redemptive work of Christ. Would you stand please for the reading of God's word? And again, we'll back up to verse 9. He says, And so from the day we heard, that is the day we heard about your faith in Christ, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord." fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we're so grateful for the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. And on a Sunday like this, when we gather around your table to observe the Lord's Supper, Lord, we do so with that acknowledgement that it's only because of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have eternal life. And so, God, we do gather with hearts of gratitude. And I pray that our lives as believers would be lived with gratitude. Lord, I pray that there would be a deep-seated joy in our hearts, regardless of what we might be going through in life, but a joy knowing what Christ has done for us. Help us to more clearly understand that today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a passage about gratitude. At least at this portion in Paul's prayer, it is a passage about gratitude. 
Now, folks, as we think about gratitude, we know that people are grateful for many different reasons in their lives. Uh, some people are full of gratitude because of their material possessions. They're so grateful for what they have in life or their job or their position. And there's nothing wrong with that. We ought to be grateful for that because the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights. Others are grateful for more sociological reasons. They're grateful for the country they're born in, for the, for the ethnicity that they have, some type of, of sociological consideration like that. Others are grateful for good circumstances in their lives. Maybe you're enjoying good health, and certainly that is a reason for giving of thanks. I think about an occasion back in 1997 when Bill Gates, the richest man in the world, was speaking to a gathering of doctors and scientists in Seattle. There were 1,500 doctors and scientists there and, and he was talking about some of the things related to his life and his experiences. And one doctor, a Dr. Kylie, stood and asked Bill Gates at the end of his presentation, he said, I want to ask you a question. If you were blind, physically blind, would you give up all of your millions and billions of dollars to regain your sight? And Bill Gates said, without question, I would give up, I would give my last penny if I were a blind man and knew that by giving up all of my earthly wealth, I could regain my sight. He said, that would be no decision. I would do it automatically. So gratitude over good health. We ought to be grateful for things that we have if we enjoy health. So whether it's your circumstances, whether it's your position in life, whether it's your health, all of those are reasons for gratitude. But folks, I want you to see why Paul is expressing gratitude here. You see, Paul is rooting his gratitude here in theological concerns. And theology at its best. The theology of redemption, the redemption that we have in Christ. It reminds me a lot of what King David does in Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He goes on in verse 8 to say, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. And that's a reason why King David is saying he's so grateful. You see, he's doing the same thing the Apostle Paul is doing here in Colossians 1. Again, gratitude based on theology. The theology of redemption. That God has forgiven us of all of our sins and not treated us as our sins deserve. Now folks, that's good news, is it not? And that's a reason for gratitude. 
And so what we see here in our text is that redemption, the redemption we have through Jesus Christ our Lord should be our chief reason in life for expressing gratitude. The first thing I want you to see with me this morning is Paul points out that gratitude should be expressed to the Father because he has qualified, he has qualified the unqualified. He's qualified the unqualified. Look at verse 12 again. He says, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. With joy give thanks. Now I mentioned last week how joy at the end of verse 11 probably goes with verse 12. Translations are all over the map on this. Some translations put with joy back in verse 11 with patience and long-suffering that we ought to be patient with joy. Other translations put joy with what follows in verse 12 with thanksgiving. We ought to with joy, joyful thanksgiving. And that's probably the best way to interpret this. You see, the Greek manuscripts are divided. But I like what Douglas Moo says about this. And I don't want to get into too much detail here grammatically. I know you don't care about that. But beginning back in verse 12, Paul has begun using a series of participles, uh, bearing fruit and being strengthened uh, with all might. And with each one of these participles, he includes a prepositional phrase. And so he says, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God may you be strengthened with all power and so as Moo points out keeping up Paul's symmetry here his grammatical construction we need to put the prepositional phrase with joy with the participle of thanksgiving with joy being thankful you see what Paul is probably saying here it's not just the action that we are to do but it is the attitude behind the action some people may give thanks simply because they think well it's something I ought to do it's the right thing to do And Paul is saying no for the Christian the Christian ought to joyfully give thanks it ought not to be a struggle when we consider the fact that he has qualified the unqualified that we might share in the inheritance of the saints in life thanksgiving ought to come easily amen and that's what he's pointing out here You and I were unqualified. We were unqualified for heaven. We did not come into this world prepared for heaven. Folks, do you understand that? Do you understand that if you're in Christ, he's qualified, you were unqualified? Have you ever gotten a letter or a phone call saying that you were 
unqualified and you know how that made you feel right maybe you got laid off from a job and you applied to other various jobs and you either got an email or a letter or a phone call and they said sorry we really appreciate you coming in for the interview and applying for this job but you're not really qualified for this position or maybe you're a student and you applied to a college and there was a college you really wanted to go to and you really wanted to get into but you got that letter in the mail that you were not qualified it wasn't the right fit I remember getting news like that one time and how it makes you feel I was down at Wingate University back then back in the dark ages when I was there it was Wingate College but at Wingate University and Dr. Burns Coleman the chairman of our department told me that I was going to get the president scholarship for the student with the highest GPA going going to seminary and he said that's going to be yours you're going to get the the president scholarship to go on to Southwestern and and I was so tickled uh, by that because here I was about to get married and moving 1100 miles away and so my seminary being taken care of with this president scholarship boy it was going to be wonderful but there was something we had not factored in there was that famous first year of college that so many students well you know just kind of play and getting used to the first year of college and so when the cumulative grade point average got factored in fortunately it was still pretty close to a 4.0 but not close enough it knocked me out of running for the highest GPA in the president scholarship and so one day I was qualified and the next day I was unqualified (laughs) maybe you've gotten news like that before But I tell you what, if you're a child of God in Christ, you never have to worry about getting news of being unqualified because you're qualified in Christ. And that's what Paul is pointing out here. You have been qualified by God to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You could not qualify yourself. No amount of effort would do it by the works of the law. No man will be justified in God's sight. To be right with God, we're born again, not of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but John 1.12 says, we are born of God. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. You've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. And Paul is saying that's a reason for gratitude. You've got this glorious inheritance. Now folks, there are so many comparisons that we need to make here with the Old Testament. This is Exodus language as I explained last week. You remember what happened with the children of Israel there in Egypt and being delivered from Egypt and and how God took them out of Egypt and and led them into the promised land and, and he gave each of the tribes an inheritance. You can read through the book of Joshua and you can see how how the inheritances began being distributed. But they messed up with those, didn't they? 
They didn't drive out all the Canaanites. And God said, because you've not driven. I gave you this land. I gave you your inheritance. But you didn't drive out all the Canaanites. And so they're going to be a thorn in your side from here on out. And then we know what eventually happened to the northern kingdom after Israel split into Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. The Assyrians came in and overran the northern kingdom and and killed many of the Israelites took many of them away, uh, settled them in foreign countries, brought other people in to settle there in the northern kingdom. And they intermarried and, and by the time of Jesus you have the Samaritans that the Jews looked at as half-breeds. They messed up their inheritance. And they lost their inheritance. And of course after the Romans destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD all of the records of the tribes were destroyed. And so with the intermarriage after that among the Jews they don't really know which tribe they belong to. But Peter wants born again Christians to understand under the new covenant that there is nothing that can diminish the inheritance that you and I have in Christ. Nothing. Simon Peter also writes about that in his letter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. You hear what Peter is saying there? You've got an inheritance that's reserved for you in heaven. And nothing can affect that inheritance. God's keeping that for you. And he's keeping you for it. Until he brings the two together, you and your inheritance. Nothing can ever diminish the inheritance you have in Christ. And God in Christ has qualified you, the unqualified, for that inheritance. And so that ought to be a reason for gratitude in a believer's life. Folks, I want you to think about the inheritance that you have in Christ. Take your Bible and turn with me to to right at the end of the Bible. Revelation 21 and 22. Revelation 21 and 22. Because I, I I want you to... understand clearly something about this inheritance that you have waiting on you one day. Revelation 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain uh, anymore for the former things have passed away and he who is seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new 
Verse 7, he says, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Look down at verse 9. And then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal it had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east uh, three gates on the north three gates on the south three gates on the west three gates and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls the city lies four square its length the same as its width and he measured the city with his rod 12,000 stadia its length and width and height are equal does that make you think of anything? It should. It should make you think of the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. Remember the inner chamber room in the temple where only the high priest could go? Even the other priests couldn't go there. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies one time of year. And it was described as being all dimensions of it were equal. And, and what John is saying here, I love what Dr. Greg Bill says about this, what John is saying here about our inheritance in heaven, that heaven, all of heaven, is going to be the holy of holies. Folks, let that sink in. Only the high priest in the Old Testament could go into the holy of holies. But in heaven, all of heaven is the holy of holies. And every child of God, because of our high priest, Jesus Christ, is going to be able to go into the holy of holies. What, what was the holy of holies? The very presence of God. And God says here, I'm going to be in the presence of my children. They're going to be in my presence. They'll be my children and I'll be their God. The holy of holies in heaven. That's your inheritance if you're in Christ. And it's through Christ that God has qualified you for that. Shouldn't that be a reason for thanksgiving? You better believe it. You better believe it. A second reason for thanksgiving. Gratitude is expressed to the Father because He has rescued the perishing. Look at verses 13 and 14 of Colossians 1. He says there, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son. Again, what we see here is Exodus language. Israel was in a foreign land, Egypt. God took them from Egypt, brought them to the land of Canaan and gave them that new land. It was the beginning of a whole new chapter for Abraham's descendants. Well, we were in a foreign land under an oppressive power worse than Pharaoh. 
You see, the Bible points out we're, we were under the power of Satan. But through Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, the Father has redeemed you from that dark land and transferred you to the kingdom of His Son. It is in Christ that we have redemption. Remember the lamb in Exodus 12? They sprinkled the blood. They had to take a a lamb without blemish and without spot and and kill the lamb and sprinkle the blood and put it on the the doorpost and the lintel and, 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 and the death angel passed over them. They had redemption through the blood of the lamb. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 that Christ is our new Passover lamb. Through his shed blood, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. You and I were sinners by nature and by choice. We inherited that nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve. But then we went on to commit sins of our own because again, by nature, that's who we are. The fall of man in Genesis 3 left man totally depraved. Now total depravity does not mean that you were as bad as you could have been. It doesn't mean that I was as bad as I could have been. What total depravity means is that every aspect of your being has been affected by the fall. Your will, your emotions, your thoughts, your words. There's not a single aspect of your humanity that has not been affected by the fall. That's what total depravity means. You see, you and I did not come into this world with a clean slate. That's Pelagianism, a heresy that was condemned by the church. Pelagius was an ancient monk who taught that you were born into this world with a clean slate and that you can go on without the aid of God or divine grace to achieve your own salvation. Shouldn't surprise you at all that two different times, the Council of Chalcedon in 418 and and again the Council of Ephesus in 431, both of these councils, they condemned Pelagianism. Paul says in Romans 5 that we all sinned in Adam. When Adam sinned, we sinned because we were in his loins, as theologians say. And he represented all of the human race. When Adam sinned, man sinned because Adam was mankind at that point. But again, we can't simply blame Adam because the first chance you get to sin, what did you do? You sin. So if Adam wouldn't have messed up, you would have and I would have, right? We do exactly what Adam did. 
We sin by nature and we sin by choice. It's who we are at the very core of our being. And we know better. We have within us the census divinitatus, as John Calvin called it, the sense of the divine. God has put that knowledge of himself in every heart according to Romans 1. But we suppress this knowledge of God. We suppress this sense of right and wrong. And we go on to transgress the laws of God. And it ends up affecting every part of our lives and every relationship that we have. Ephesians 2 says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And dead men cannot remedy their situation. Somebody from outside had to do it. And that somebody is Christ. The death of Lazarus is a perfect picture of this. Lazarus had been in the tomb four days so that nobody would mistake the fact that he was dead. In fact, when Jesus told them to remove the door of the tomb, they said, Lord, don't you know by now he stinketh. He was dead. Lazarus had no life in himself and Jesus called forth the dead. That's an analogy of what Jesus does with men and women who are spiritually dead and cannot do anything in and of themselves about their condition because again they're dead. Jesus calls forth the dead. He grants to us life. He's able to do that because he's God's son who died for our sins. Has he called you forth to life? Have you been convicted of your sins by the Holy Spirit and drawn to faith in Jesus Christ? That's the call of God. And when, you, when you're convicted of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, he moves into your heart. And you become a changed person. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what happens when we're born again. When God calls forth the dead. And makes that we were dead. But now we're alive in Christ. We're a new creation in Christ. That's what God does for us in Christ. And through Christ. Not of yourself. You were perishing. I was perishing. We were dead. You couldn't fix your condition. God fixed it in Christ. God did at Calvary's cross what man could never do for himself. And that's why Paul writing to the Galatians says, if we're going to glory in anything, we're going to glory in the cross. Paul says here that in Christ that the Father has redeemed us and forgiven us of all of our sins and rescued the perishing. Folks, this Lord's Supper Sunday, I want you to fully understand that in Christ we have the forgiveness of our sins. We have a new master, the Lord Jesus himself. We were out from underneath the... the the, we, we are out from underneath the oppressive power of Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're part of a new kingdom of light, not darkness. That's the good news of the gospel. You want to talk about gratitude? That ought to bring gratitude 
in your heart and my heart, right? It should. To think of where we were, dead in trespasses and sins, and what would have happened had we continued in that state and died in that state. I want to show you something about that. I want you to find Luke chapter 16 a minute. And as you find Luke chapter 16, I want you to think about something. As you find Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. Jesus Christ was born in human flesh there at Bethlehem. But was Bethlehem the beginning of Jesus Christ? No. The incarnation of Christ was simply the beginning of the humanity of Christ. But Christ is the eternal Son of God. John 1, 1 through 4 points out there's never been a time that Christ was not. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Never a time that Christ was not. Bethlehem was not the beginning of Jesus Christ, just the beginning of the humanity of Christ. And what I mean by that, where was Jesus before his humanity? He's with the Father. And here's where I'm going with that. If anybody ought to be qualified to speak as to what's on the other side, it would be Jesus, right? He knows. And listen to what Jesus said about the other side. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back and tie this in to uh, reasons for gratitude, okay? Luke chapter 19 let me get there myself. I'm sorry, Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades being in torment he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side and he called out Father Abraham have mercy on me and send Lazarus to tip to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he's comforted, comforted and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from, from there to us. Jesus, the one who knows what's on the other side, is warning us that we'd better be ready. 
You don't want to end up in the rich man's shoes. He didn't go to hell because he was rich. Many godly rich people in the Bible. He went to hell because he lived without God and he died without God. And you live without God and die without God. Jesus is warning you here what you've got in store for you and it's not a pretty picture. If you are not ready to die, you had better not die. That's profound, isn't it? If you're not ready to die, you'd better not die. But you have no control over that, do you? And so you'd better be ready. You'd better be ready. You read a story like this... And if, 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 if the saints of God have any reason for gratitude whatsoever, that ought to be a reason for it, right? When you understand what you have been saved from. Because Jesus says there's a place of torment. There's a place of anguish. And it's, it's an eternal place where nobody can cross over to the other side. You can't get out of it if you end up there. But God in Christ has rescued the perishing. And Paul is saying right here in Colossians, that's a reason why you and I ought to be filled with gratitude in our lives. He's qualified the unqualified through Christ. He's rescued the perishing through Christ. Do you live with gratitude in your life? You have reasons to. You might have bad circumstances in your life. You might have bad health in your life. You may have things happen to your life that you think are not fair. And you know what? From a human standpoint of view, it may not be fair. Scripture says even in all things give give thanks. This is the will of God concerning you. But if you have everything against you, Yet if you're in Christ, you have the greatest thing of all for you. You have a great inheritance waiting on you. You have redemption in Christ. When we come to the Lord's table this morning, we need to understand what this symbolizes, what God has done for us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ, come forward in a moment. I'd I'd love to pray with you, okay? There may be Christians who just want to come to the altar in a public way and say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. Because it took something outside of myself. And you did that, God. You did that in your son, Jesus Christ. You did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Thank you. And help me to live all of my life out of gratitude. Let's pray together. Lord, with hearts of gratitude, we say thank you for saving us. Thank you for transferring us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ.
Thank you for loving us enough to save us, even though we do not deserve this. Lord, there's not a single one of us here today that could stand up before this congregation and say that we deserve what you have done for us in Christ. None of us deserves it. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, as we come to your table this morning, if there's even one that you're drawing to faith in Christ this morning, give them boldness and courage to publicly profess their faith in you. Lord, help each of us to live in light of the redemption that we have in Christ. We have lived long enough for the world, for the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Help us to walk worthy of you. Lord, may we walk in constant gratitude. May we walk in growing gratitude. May our lives be lived as an offering of praise to you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.